Ahoy authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Alyssa Archer. Welcome to episode 52 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts. And I'm Alyssa Archer. Leslie and I are the co-captains of Writership.org, where we create books, programs, and content for writers who want to improve their craft. With this podcast, we want to help you edit your way into a great book. If you'd like to find out more about us and Writership, you can find us on the web at Writership.org. The Writership Podcast is brought to you by the Author Marketing Institute as part of the AMI Podcast Network. You can learn more about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.authormarketinginstitute.com. If you go there today, you can get their free video course entitled Selling Your First 100 Copies. That's authormarketinginstitute.com. How are you doing, Leslie? I'm a little um, a little tired uh, today, so I'm going to do my best to keep my brain engaged and all of that. Um, but I'm also excited because we have a lot of cool stuff in the works. Yes, we do, we do. And it's it's funny. I've been thinking a lot about this as, as indie authors. Um, there are an overwhelming number of tasks to take on, and it's really easy to become overwhelmed by what you haven't accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important, just as important, to think about what you have accomplished and to celebrate. Like, you know, you wrote a chapter yesterday. That's awesome. You know, take time to really revel. You're living the dream, even right. if it's only part-time, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's really... I know that my pattern is to, you know, check something off. Yay, I feel good about it for a moment. And then I'm like, what's next? Um, And I, and, you know, we know from our goal setting sessions that it's really important to acknowledge the things that you have accomplished and, um, and to really celebrate them because uh, those are the things that help keep you one of the many things that help keep you going when things are um, hard and tricky. So I think definitely we have, what do we have coming up? We have um, our rebranded Muse Fuel. Um, oh my gosh. And I have to say, I got to hold it in my hands last night. It came in the mail, the first proof, and it looks just gorgeous. I'm so excited yeah. to show you. I know you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The cover was really, really lovely. Um, and so I was, yes, I'm really excited to see that. And then we have, um, I always want to call it Red Dancer, um, but it's uh, the uh, the memoir prompt book, 101 Creative Writing Prompts for Memoir Writers, that that's, um, that's coming out in print too soon. Um, and Anchor 2 is coming out very soon. So yes. there's lots of stuff, um, lots of stuff to celebrate. Um, and I want to make sure uh, that we remember to do that. And and so it's a good reminder for folks listening in too, I think. 
Yeah. Well, and you had a lovely guest post this week. Yes. Yes. On, um, oh, and I'm not going to remember the name of it now. Ah, um, but on, uh, we can include a link in the show notes. But, um, I uh, wrote a post, a guest post about memoir prompts. And, you know, it's like, wait, that's not fiction. Well, no, <laughs> but I've been doing um, life writing a lot longer than I've been doing uh, a fiction. And, um, yeah, there's lots of great use. And there's lots of um, fodder in the um, in memoir writing, you know, for I don't uh, for for fiction, because we're constantly, you know, writing about the things that touch us and the things that hurt us and the things that we love and all of that. So those things pop up in fiction as well. They do a bit, a bit. <laughs> <laughs> How much we will not say. Uh, Yes, let's get started. (laughs) Um, Today's quote is from Bernard Malamud. Is that how you would say that, Alyssa? It is. Malamud. Okay. I would write a book or a short story at least three times. Once to understand it, the second time to improve the prose, and a third to compel it to say what it still must say. Somewhere I put it this way. First drafts are for learning what one's fiction wants him to say. Revision works with that knowledge to enlarge and enhance an idea to reform it. Revision is one of the exquisite pleasures of writing. And again, that's Bernard Malamud. That is so true for me. <laughs> I I feel like the first draft is just painful. It's so difficult for me, but revision is a delight, a joy. I I dive into it willingly and wholeheartedly. Yes, that's been my experience too that the um I love the planning stage and all the brainstorming and coming up with things. Um and I I do love the revising and tweaking and re-seeing the story um but yeah getting it it's not getting the words out that's a hard thing for me but it's the um where I get stuck which um stay tuned for the editorial mission there's a little foreshadowing (laughs) (laughs) dum 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 all right I'm feeling silly today all right it's lack of sleep for me so I have no excuse (laughs) (laughs) anyway um on with it today's session we uh we have author jf erickson to thank for this submission title is hard reboot and this is dystopian young adult fiction um do you know if this is published already leslie i do not think it is but i it is unpublished unpublished Mm -hmm. so up and coming up and coming um, and what we have here is the opening of season one, episode one of uh, what will be a serialization. Mm-hmm. And the this episode runs 15,000 words. So thank you, JF, for submitting this to us. And let me get over that file and we'll get started with the submission. Prologue. The elevator doors slid open, and Dr. David Jones stepped out into the desolate hallway of the second-level sub-basement. He ignored the flickering light down the hallway. 
He strode across the linoleum flooring to the double doors of the central conference room, stepped inside, and shut them. The beige, rectangular room was ringed with tall, gunmetal lockers on one wall, spare chairs stacked on another, and the third contained a fully stocked bar. The center of the room held a large hexagonal table with four chairs set around it. He set a three-ring binder down at one end and sat waiting. His smirk grew into a wide smile as the doors opened and three men walked in carrying various papers and clipboards. You can't mean that, Dr. Zachary Smith said, looking at one of the others. Radiation leaks could compromise more than just the intended targets. The devastation would be insurmountable. The three noticed Dr. Jones sitting and each nodded in greeting. Tell him, Davy, radiation isn't viable. Each took a seat at the table, placing their documents in front of them. Au contraire, Zachary. Mr. Brown has a point. Radiation would serve our purpose as well. Dr. Jones turned to Matthew Brown. The problem, however, is the collateral damage is incalculable. Finding a substance that would effectively irradiate the intended population spectrum without inundating the remainder would seem to be difficult. Dr. Jones went to the line of lockers, unlocked one, removing a small metal box, and set it beside the binder at his seat. For example, he said, placing both hands on the table, cesium-137 could be effective. If it can be implemented in some soluble form in all locations, such as a simple dish of water, it is reg readily integrated into the system. However, the results are easily remedied and inconsistent. Colonel Philip Green shifted in his chair, his slick black, slick black hair shifting the highlights from the fluorescent bulbs hanging from the ceiling. His furrowed brow belaying his growing smile. I like the radiation angle. He stroked his bare chin. We could do some major damage with easy distribution. The only obstacle could be distribution without contaminating our own people. He shrugged. Not that I'm opposed to it. Dr. Jones frowned. Colonel, that hardly seems fitting. Besides, his smile returned as he glanced at each of the others. I have the solution. Dr. Jones lifted the lid to the box. The others jumped to their feet, scrambling backwards. Relax, gentlemen. He pulled one of the vials from the foam packing material and held it up. It is completely inactive. Dr. Smith tilted his head, examined the small glass container. Metallic particles glinted as the clear liquid spun within it. What is it? He sneered. This, Dr. Jones lifted the vial a fraction, is the answer that I like to call the plan. He returned the vial to the box, closing it. It contains nanobots designed with three tasks. He placed his hands in the pockets of his suit coat and strode around the table. He stopped at the bar and opened the mini fridge. He removed a bottle and four glasses from the adjoining cabinet. First, he said, pointing a single digit toward the ceiling, the nanobots, upon activation, are to seek all proteins in the body and alter them. Alter them? asked Mr. Brown. What are you talking about? In a moment, Mr. Brown. Dr. Jones cleared his throat and resumed, adding a second finger to the first. 
Second, it acquires the raw material necessary to replicate itself from the host. He paused a moment, glancing at each in turn. And last, it has a termination point of 30 minutes to prevent spreading of the virus beyond the target population. Dr. Smith stepped forward. Astounding, sir. What are your projections? Has it been tested? Dr. Jones poured champagne into each of the four glasses and set one in front of each of them. We should effectively reduce the population of the planet by some 7 billion people, with a margin of error plus or minus 5%. We will have a more accurate estimate once we have completed the trials. Each member of the group stood awestruck, staring at one another for several moments. Dr. Smith's smile grew with each second that passed, basking in their astonished admiration. Gentlemen, they turned to look back at him. As of this moment, we are no longer the secularists' social society. We can keep our monikers of misunderstood scientists, but the rest is history. I now dub us, he cleared his throat and raised his glass of champagne, the ubiquitous Reboot League. Chapter 1 Britta, I'm heading out. Do you have your halo? Chandra Holt clipped a small plastic device to her right earlobe, then adjusted the waist of her black dress and smoothed the folds across the front. I got it, Mom. Britta Holt held up the small device as she strode into the entryway. Chandra patted the tight bun of her blonde hair, making sure that every strand lay in place. She looked Britta over, verifying that she appeared presentable, should, unlikely though it may be, someone visit while she was at the memorial service. A spastic cough echoed from the back bedroom. Chandra fretted. Bobby will be fine, Britta said, tilting her head and clipping her halo to her ear. Her blonde ponytail bobbed behind her. I've been babysitting for years. A small voice strained from the back as Britta mouthed in unison. I'm not a baby! Chandra chuckled, then shook her head at Britta's questioning look. Nothing, she smiled. Are you sure you'll be okay? Relax. So, she resigned. The service starts at 8 o'clock. Make sure you are watching, she said, tapping her ear. Yes, Mom. Britta exhaled, grabbing the wool coat from the back of a chair. Chandra turned, extending her arms as Britta put the coat on her, turning back to button it up. She held her arms out and twirled. Am I presentable? She chuckled. Britta chuckled back. Are you ever not? She grabbed the black leather purse and tucked it under her mother's arm. You better get going or you will miss the auto bus. Chandra frowned. It doesn't work that way. It's, I know, I was teasing. Britta rolled her eyes. She turned her mother around and nudged her towards the door. A sharp intake of breath made Chandra turn back around. The ghost of a worry frown evaporated from Britta's brow as the 17-year-old shooed her on her way. I love you, Chandra called as she stepped off the porch. Glancing over her shoulder, she returned Britta's wave as the maglev autobus glided to a stop in front of the block. Three other families boarded the massive vehicle. Chandra dashed to the curb as the last of her neighbors, an older man with gray stubble covering his head, stepped aboard. Evening, Mr. McDonald, he gave a curt nod. Her smile vanished. 
This was supposed to be a somber occasion. As the auto bus glided to a stop outside the holy, tremendum tabernacle of peace, Chandra joined the line to enter, nodding to each member she knew. As she passed through the doors, Reverend J.R. Dobbs, dressed in a tailored black suit, sprinkled water on her. Bless you, child of God. Thank you, Reverend, she said before entering. She shuffled between two men in tailored suits standing in the entry. She muttered an apology at their stiff glares. She made her way through the crowd to find a single seat next to a family in the third row off the aisle, stepped in, and removed her coat. And that is our submission for this week. Thank you, Mr. Erickson or Ms. Erickson. I think it's Mr. Um, All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Okay, so one of the things I really like about this... um, that you know this opening that we have is how different it feels in the fir- in the prologue from the first chapter um and that you know we're in a sort of um you know we're in a in a conference room that's in a you know the second level sub basement it's not adorned except for some lockers and um and chairs and that and um and the uh it just has a really cold feel to it and then when we move on to chapter 1 there's this really sweet affection and um kind of you know just you know a a lovely feeling i mean they're not um you know they're clearly a a right and proper family um but they're it's it's sweet and it has a different tone and feel and i um so i think that uh that shift was really well done. And so I wanted to point that out. Um, and, and the things that I want to talk about today where I would make suggestions are, um, are around dialogue and punctuation and, um, dialogue tags specifically and punctuation for an interesting, um, interesting circumstances that I actually hadn't encountered before. So um, I want the first thing I want to talk about is what a dialogue, you know, what are the parts of dialogue? So in you have the actual speech and you know, so the words that are coming out of the character's mouth, and then you can have a dialogue tag, which um, uh, obviously, you know, is, is identifies a person generally, and um, that they said or asked, which are our favorite um, ways of tagging dialogue, um, because the, we've talked about this before, that the the dialogue tag should sort of disappear into the, into the prose, um, and said uh, is a great way to do that. People don't actually really register that as much as when we have... Um, exclaimed or um other growled <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I was trying to hiss hiss is a good one yes um okay and then we have what's called um a beat and it can be a little confusing because beats are um ref- the word beats is used in a lot of different tech uh, contexts within fiction but what we're talking about in um in the context of dialogue is 
what the person is doing or a gesture or, you know, anything that is not the speech or the dialogue tag. So here's an example. Dr. Jones frowned. Colonel, that hardly seems fitting. Besides, his smile returned as he glanced at each of the others. I have the solution. So that um, Dr. Jones frowned and the um, the interruption of this of um, Dr. Jones's speech where he said where it, it says his smile returned as he glanced at each of the others. That is the beat um, in the context of dialogue. So so we have these three main parts and the dialogue tag is part of the, the speech, right? So um, if I say, um, let me just grab an example. I'm just going to grab an example and I'm going to add a tag to this. It contains nanobots designed with three tasks, said Dr. Jones. That's not actually in it, but that's what, um, but I'm adding that on. So that's all one sentence. So you punctuate that, you would punctuate that with at the end of the sentence of speech, a comma, close the quotation marks, and then Dr. Jones said, period. Um, so we get into trouble when we are using um, the beats and dialogue tags interchangeably. Um, and a dialogue tag is, you know, is literally the what was, you know, it, it can be said, it can be hissed if there are S sounds in the, um, in the speech, but we try to avoid that. Um, but if, but the beat shouldn't be part of the sentence that contains the dialogue. So we have Dr. Jones frowned. That's actually a beat. And so you would say here, here we have a comma, but that should be a period after. And yeah, please look at the, at the, um, the inline comments on the, in the show notes so that you can see exactly what I'm talking about. It's a little difficult to, to convey it, but basically and let me just jump in there. That, yeah. That's at writership.org forward slash podcast. Oh, yeah. Good, good. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Dr. Jones frowned, period. Colonel, that hardly seems fitting besides da 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 da. Okay. So, so your beats should not be part of the sentence with your speech. And I found a couple of others. Um, Bob, Bobby flopped a What's that? Bobby flopped flopped away from her. Okay, that's from you didn't read that part. Um, that I pulled that, but he sneered because that's not a vocal thing; it's a visual thing. It's not auditory. Um, that that's not a dialogue tag. Um, she resigned. That's a you know again. That's not. It's not a. It's not an auditory thing. It's, um, it could be, it sounds more like an, an emotion or, or something of the sort. So those don't go in dialogue tags. Now, when you have a, um, an interrupt, if you, when you're interrupting speech with a dialogue tag, you use commas. Um, but if you are interrupting speech with a, with a beat, then you use M dashes, which is very cool to me. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I just love M dashes. I like them too. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I try not to overdo it, but I do like them. Um, 
they just feel so dramatic. They add like this, you know, kind of heavy pause that's not quite a, it's not a period, but it's bigger than a comma. Um, so They're just pretty. It is pretty too. Colonel, that hardly seems fitting. Besides, then you have your closed quotation mark, M dash. His smile returned as he glanced at each of the others. M dash, which is the long dash. I didn't make that clear. It's the longer dash. Um, and then, so where you have that interruption that is um, bracketed essentially by the, uh, um, by the M dashes, and then you start the rest of your um, speech with quotation marks again. Um, so clear as mud. I hope, I hope that's pretty clear. But again, take a peek at the at the show notes and you will see that more clearly. Um, the one other thing I wanted to mention is when you have a dialogue tag that contains a beat um, that is kind of an aside. And let me find an example. Um, okay, I'll just, um, I'll just make one up because I'm not finding that one. Um, so, um, gentlemen, they turned their back on, oh, no, that's not a good example because that's got the other kind of interruption. So, Britta, I'm heading out. Do you have your, he- do you have your halo? And if if there we said, Chandra said, or Chandra said, while clipping a small plastic device to her right earlobe, you, that beat is kind of tacked on to the dialogue tag. And so you just, um, you know, there's a comma and you end the sentence. You do that, you do that the same way you would punctuate that rather the same way you would punctuate a tag because it's kind of tacked on there. So, um, Again, I would take a peek at the at the show notes at writership.org slash podcast. And this is episode 52, um, just to kind of get a get the, a visual of what I'm talking about. And then um, and then your dialogue, too, can be punctuated um, flawlessly. You can be a punctuation master. <laughs> oh, OK. And from I- there. um shall I dive in yes yes yeah so I thought this was fascinating I I love these opening open this opening with the mad scientists as it seems right to us in our first world experience um and so this premise is is really um intriguing and I think I want to get to it faster. Like I don't, I I don't think that we need to see Dr. Jones in the elevator or um, walking down the hallway. I think we can start in this beige room and drop some of the stage direction that keeps us from getting to the story. I agree that this this tone is chilling um, in a, in the best way, mm-hmm. um, and I'd like to see. Yeah, a little bit more. I think we have a few missed opportunities for characterization here that could be um, put in place of the stage direction. And so stage direction, what I I mean by that is when you're saying exactly what the character is doing, right? So um, stepped out into the desolate hallway, strode across the linoleum flooring, stepped inside, shut the doors. And then we have kind of set direction. Like we look at the room and we see what's there. 
I would rather encounter those things as they uh, come up in the story. And Personally. As, he's, as he's doing, like he's doing something and weaving the setting into that as opposed to here he's doing stuff and then um and then here's a look around the room and then he's doing stuff is that what you're talking about well I'm, yeah i'm saying he's walking he's sitting he's you know he's we're describing his motions and and then we get a view of the setting um and i would rather um you know, start with David Jones sitting down at this table and then we can see the table, right? Because at that point it's relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we see the men come in, this wonderful dialogue, chilling dialogue. Yeah, that's really frightening. <laughs> as it, yeah, as we as the purpose of their little club is revealed and we say that they're, you know probably not affiliated with any government organization. Um, let's see. And then when we, when Dr. Jones goes to the line of lockers, that's a decent time to introduce the fact that there's a line of lockers on the wall. You know, I don't know that I need to stop and learn about it earlier. Um, but yeah, this is really chilling and, and, and it is quite a contrast to the following chapter one. And I did also really appreciate the sweetness and the tenderness of this family and the, you know, they've been through this devastation and yet have found a somewhat normal life. There's a lot of world building that goes on in this, right? We get the halo um, almost almost too much in comparison to, to the rest of what's going on. We have a few different mentions of the auto bus, um, the halo, of course, and uh, what I wanted in this was to find a little bit more tension underlying the affection. I wanted to know what was at stake for this family. What you know, is there something that affects them personally in relation to the tragedy, or is there some kind of retribution if Chandra doesn't show up? I'm, I'm a little, I'm curious. And I'd like a little bit more of an intimation of that tension in this section. So those are more of my developmental comments. And then we've got a few copy editing comments in the show notes. And I don't know that they're really, it's really necessary to go over them here. Yeah, I think I already put everyone to sleep with the uh, dialogue punctuation. So (laughs) I shouldn't talk anymore about that. Um, But yeah, there are some, you know, just a few... um, Things that, yeah, so you want, yeah, stop on by. Go check out those yeah. show notes because um, there's some good examples um, of, of different uh, things that you want to look for. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this, and I'm, cur- I'm really curious about what happens next. So I think it's a, an, an opening to a serial that is done really well. Yeah, it's definitely working. It's working. Yeah, I, okay, so excellent. Thank you. <laughs> J.F. Erickson for submitting hard reboot to us and um, I have a slightly different editorial mission for y'all today. All y'all. <laughs> um, feeling, I'm feeling my Texas. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> so actually, Leslie, I wanted to um, invite you to introduce free writing, which is a concept that I first learned about from Natalie Goldberg, whom you've studied with. 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, so free writing, and you're probably thinking, what is free writing if you don't know what it is? So I'm going to introduce free writing, and then I'm going to explain why on earth you would want to use this in the revision process. So free writing is basically, you know, you set a timer, you keep your hand moving, whether you are typing or writing longhand, your goal is to ignore the editor. So you're not worrying about spelling, you're not worrying about punctuation or grammar, you're letting the words spill out of you, you're essentially recording what is in your mind, um, and just getting it down on the paper, or the screen, um, wherever you however you happen to be working. So um, this exercise that um, that Alyssa has selected for us today is out of um, MuseFuel, which we mentioned earlier. Um, and that will be available very soon in print and is, all, is available in ebook now. Um, but here's the, the, the exercise. Try this. If you don't know what happens next in your project, start with what if. Let your mind roam. Be careful that you're not dismissing any idea out of hand. Your job is to get every idea down, not to judge them. If you get stuck, write what if again and keep going. Now, why would you want to use this in the editing process? This sounds like dream time, possibly, when you're planning your novel or even, you know, obviously while you're writing the rough draft. And here's the thing. When you get, you know, when you find a problem in the story structure of your, in in the structure of your story, um, you want to be able to um, cast a wide net for possibility possible solutions. And by tapping into that, um, the, the free writing, tapping right into your mind, um, instead of just, you know, sitting down and planning, well, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is a great way to, you know, to, to be more connected to your, to your innate storytelling, um, and come up and, and find, solutions that you wouldn't necessarily stumble upon if all you do is ask, okay, what am I going to do here? So what if is kind of an open-ended question that allows you to, you know, to find all the possibilities um, in your story. And so I really like that exercise. (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, I think what it does for me is it it becomes sort of exponential. When I start asking that question, I'm sort of timid in my responses. But as I continue to ask it, um, the story can kind of explode and in the best possible way. And you stumble upon things that you absolutely would not have found otherwise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a, yeah, as you say, it's access to that playland of the subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you picked that one for today. <laughs> yeah, thanks for telling us about it. Um, all right. So we're wrapping things up for today. And as we do, we would love for you to remember that the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute, which you can find at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Don't forget to stop by today for access to the video course, Selling Your First 100 Copies. And if you're wanting to write a novel and don't know where to begin, might we suggest you check out Writership Anchor One Dreamtime. 
It's a 90-day journey that helps you consider what decisions to make before you write Chapter 1. And it's available now in electronic and print versions on Amazon.com. All right. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And we hope to see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Writership Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing the show with your author friends and communities. And right after you do that, make sure to contact the hosts, Leslie and Alyssa, to help you find the treasure in your manuscript. Head on over to writership.org forward slash podcast to submit your pages.